Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. studying some things about church, interaction with the church, your place in the church. There's all kinds of labels we can put on it, but we're just doing our best by the Word of God and by the Holy Ghost to bring some revelation, some insight into your hearts so that you'll understand how this thing works. Amen? Acts chapter... Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Now, not in... You don't have to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 4 talks about ministry gifts. And that's what they are. They are gifts from God. They are offices in the body of Christ. A lot of people, a lot of writings, a lot of theological seminaries call it leadership positions. Actually, in my study of the Word of God and in my experience for 35 years, the the five-fold ministry really represents the highest level of servitude in the body of Christ. Anyone that's called to be a pastor, an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, or a teacher, uh, they're being called by God to step into uh, the highest level of service in the kingdom of God. It requires your, your life. It, it requires great sacrifice. It, it requires uh, everything you'll ever earn, everything you'll ever be, uh, every place you'll ever go. Uh, your life has to be totally uh, submitted and given to God to fulfill the potential of what uh, that is. Now, if you're on the other side of that, if you are uh, just a a member of a church, a a sheep in the sheepfold, amen, uh, a person that's a part of the body of Christ, uh, you have to understand what side of that you stand on, how it affects and how it operates in your life and how you should view it. Now, in my few years that I've been in the ministry, 35, I've learned a thing or two, maybe, maybe just a thing, maybe two, I don't know. But uh, I began learning very quickly, and I have kind of a, a fourfold learning, how can I describe it, a fourfold uh, learning uh, apparatus that I operate in. Number one, my first, the number one thing that teaches me or that I learn by is the Word of God. Number two is the Spirit of God. I learn by the Spirit. I learn by the Word. Those are the first two most important and what I submit to the greatest. Uh, Number three, uh, I learn through experience. You know, experience is not the best best teacher, but the the Word is. But you can learn some things through experience. Anybody ever realize that? And not only that, I also learn through observation. I, I, I observe. I like to watch. I watch churches. I watch people. I watch ministries. I watch, you know, I've always been a student, so to speak, of the ministry, watching how ministries function, operate. I've been blessed to uh, be around some of the most profound ministries of the previous generation and some of the most powerful ministries of this generation. Now, I, I begin uh, right off the bat in Bible school. When I was in Bible school, uh, uh, the pastor of our church was a very internationally well known minister. Uh, had a television program that was broadcast all over the world. And uh, uh, I was amazed at the previous year, uh, kind of the cream of the crop of the graduates of the previous year's Bible school, which was the first year of Bible school at Lakewood Bible Institute, uh, had turned on the church and on the pastor. Uh, Actually, that year during our Thanksgiving conference. We had a conference every year that went from one Sunday to the next. That year, uh, they were in the uh, parking lot uh, continually 
uh, protesting with signs uh, that said John Osteen's of the devil, the faith messages of the devil, the prosperities of and just just wicked. And I'm not talking about two or three you know people. I'm talking about you know probably fifty or sixty people out there doing that. And I thought to myself, I uh, my heart went out mostly to Brother Osteen. Pastor Osteen. You know, I mean, I, I, would have, I would have died for that guy. I mean, I would have, I would have given my life, you know, in service uh, for him. That's how much he affected my life. I mean, it just, I, I loved him. I, uh, he, had a, he had his way with me. I remember when I, I married Leah, we had already, I'd already left Lakewood, and Leah and I were attending a minister's conference, and, and the ushers, we knew the, I knew the ushers, and we came, and, and, and they sat us in a, in a nice uh, a seat right there on the aisle where I used to like to sit, and uh, we were about three rows back from Brother Osteen, and he turned around and saw me, so he got out and came around and reached across me and grabbed Leah's hand. And took Leah's hand and started patting her on the hand. And he, he, he kind of got across me. He's a little short guy. Got across me and I could hear him say to Leah, So you're the young lady that married Rusty. And she's like, you know, John Osteen has my hand, you know. I mean, he, she's, she's kind of freaking out. And then Brother Osteen said this. He goes, I pity you, sweetheart. And turned around and walked off. I mean, that, he was just the greatest guy. And it just broke my heart to see all of the effort and everything that he had put into these people and, and now they just turned on him. And how, and, and how he had to, to suffer uh, the indignity of their disloyalty. Amen? Now let me just say this about those that God chooses uh, uh, to serve him in levels of ministry. And listen, I used to be able to, to go into churches and really help pastors with this type of teaching. So you're going to have to kind of indulge me as I teach along these lines as you uh, listen to this teaching and you, uh, 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 you know, decide in your own heart, he's not doing this to be self-serving, he's doing this to give us information. Amen? Because I was really able to help a lot of churches teaching along this line. But, but, but ministers, for the most part, uh, the Bible describes them. God says there's not many wise... He's, there's, there's not many, uh, you know, according to this world's standards uh, that, that anybody would ever think, you know, this person could ever amount to anything. Those are the people that God chooses to walk in these ministry offices because the grace of those offices shows forth how wise and how powerful God is to come into somebody's heart and change them to the point that God could actually use them in the earth. So when you gather a bunch of preachers, what you gather is you gather a bunch of insecure people you usually gather a bunch of people that are very shy. People probably don't think that about me, but really down deep, I'm a very shy person. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of different uh, inadequacies. There's all kinds of things that the grace of the office that whatever you stand in as a minister kind of covers you in that and empowers you to do what you're called to do. I mean, I was around men that in the pulpit had authority that would almost make you shake. Dr. Lester Summerall was like that. I mean, just to sit in a, just to sit in a, a green room with him and talk to him was very intimidating until I got to know him a little bit and found out what a tremendously tender man that was. I mean, just, he, was just, he was just so tender as a, as a man. And so when you begin to understand these things, you, you begin to understand that every time you come to church and you see a pastor or an evangelist or a teacher or a prophet or an apostle, you see somebody standing there teaching and preaching the Word of God, you're literally witness to a miracle. I said you're lit literally a witness to a miracle. 
And that miracle is the grace of God that can come upon an individual that empowers them with a boldness to be able to teach and preach the Word of God without all the inadequacies that are in their life that would inhibit them from doing it if it was just them. That's pretty much how you figure somebody is really of God in ministry office because if it was just them, they couldn't do it. I said they couldn't do it. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that are slick enough and, and have enough talent and ability that they can pass off for anything that they want to do. But for the most part, God called, anointed, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists are not like that. They have to have the grace of an office in order to function. Now, in the church, everybody say in the church. In the church, God puts an emphasis on the pastoral ministry. In the church, God, through His Word, has ordained the pastoral ministry to oversee the church, uh, to feed the flock of God, uh, to be the overseers of the structure of the church, and to be the directors of the vision of the church. Now, here in Acts chapter 15, we've got some powerful preachers. I mean, we got some guys that are shaking the world with the gospel. Two of them in particular, one called the Apostle Paul, the other the Apostle Peter. Now, at that time in Acts chapter 15, there began to rise up a doctrine that began to mix the grace and the liberty and the dispensation of the, of the acceptable year of the Lord that we live in with the legalism and the law of the previous dispensation that they had come out of. Basically, they were saying, if you get born again, you have to get circumcised according to Moses' law. That's what they were doing. So this, this brought uh, uh, confusion. It brought, you know, it created a question. It, uh, they got together. The apostles got together. Uh, they began to discuss this. They began to talk about it. Let's look at some of the scripture. It says, uh, uh, just starting verse 1, it says, And certain men which came down from Judea uh, taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, uh, ye cannot be saved. How many know that's not true? Amen. No, that's not true. It says, And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small uh, disputation with them, that means, you know, and disputation with them, I mean, they, they, they got into it with these guys. They're like, no, that's not right. That's not what the Word of God says. That's not, that's not true. I mean, they, they literally begin to come into conflict with that. It says, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the, uh, uh, the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. They're talking about what God was doing. And it talks about, uh, and they came to Jerusalem, and they were received by the church of the apostles and the elders. And they declared all things which God had done with them. But there rose certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Everybody, everybody say, that's wrong. That's wrong. If that was true, we'd be doing that today. Every church would be doing that today. Amen. We'd be keeping the law of Moses. We'd look just like a synagogue. That's what we would look like. We'd look just like a synagogue. Then it says this. Let me find it here. There in verse 7. It says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. So they got together and started talking about it. It said, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. Now he's one of these, you know, supercharged apostles. I mean, he's got the goods. He walked on the water. He was with Jesus. I mean, I mean, he's got it. He rose up and said unto him, Men and brethren, you know that, uh, that how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, uh, the, 
let me find it. That the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word, uh, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now he's referring back to Acts chapter 10 when he went to Cornelius' house and the Bible says while he preached the word, what happened? The same thing that happened in the book of uh, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Ghost fell on them and they began to speak with other tongues. So they were born again. Uh, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you read the end of the chapter, they actually all got water baptized. So they're in this thing. I mean, the Gentiles are in. All three baptized. Everything's going on. Amen. And so he's talking about all that, uh, that happened. He says, And God, uh, which knoweth the hearts, uh, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now listen to what Peter says. This is good. He says, that, that Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers or we were able to bear? You know what he's saying? He's saying even under the law, we couldn't keep it. He gave, you gave us all these do's and don'ts. We could never do the do's and we always did the don'ts. That's the way it is with the law. That's the way it is with legalism. It says, and in, 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 uh, let me find it here. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear, but we believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now, Peter gets up and basically makes a doctrinal statement and makes a good one. And basically calls to attention. Now listen guys, you know, man, this legalism, this law, the, the Levites, the priesthood. Listen, we lived under that for basically 2,800 years. And we never lived up to it. We you know, for a short time there, the end of David's reign, into Solomon's reign, we kind of got close and God tremendously blessed the nation. But listen, they couldn't bear it, we can't bear it. And then Paul... And Barnabas, they don't get up and start trying to spew doctrine. They got up and started saying this. Now listen, let me tell you something, guys. We were, we were over in Corinth, and we saw, we saw thousands of people saved, and we saw hundreds of people delivered from devils. We saw people involved in the occult, people that worshipped the goddess Diana. They all had these little silver uh, images of her. Man, they piled them up in a big old pile with a whole bunch of occultic books and burned them. Man, we had a powerful Bible school, special miracles. I'm telling you, God was moving like you wouldn't believe. And they probably begin to give particular of testimony, proving that God was doing what? He was watching over His Word to perform it, and He was also doing what Jesus had said there in Mark chapter 16. He said that He would go and He would watch over that Word or He would perform that Word with signs following. Remember Him saying that? He said, I'm going to perform or I'm going to do or I'm going to confirm the Word that you preach with signs following. Now, notice this. It says uh, in verse 13, now this is the, the point I want to make. And after they had held their peace, James answered saying, Men and brethren, Simon hath declared, this is Peter, hath declared how God had first visited the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord 
and that all the Gentiles of whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God, are all of his works from the beginning of time of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is. Do you see that? Now, with all these high-powered apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists, God chose the pastor of the church at Jerusalem to settle this question. You say, now why are you, why are you teaching us this tonight? To show you the level of authority that God puts on the pastoral office in the church. God literally doesn't call us to be submitted to apostles, prophets, evangelists, or teachers. He calls us to be submitted to pastors. That's why I have men that I call my pastors. I listen, I wouldn't go to a church. Now, now listen, I know we're probably going to, you know, pastor till we're 110. And all of our, you know, hopefully that, you know, the, the people that we call pastors will, will not precede us in death. We'll all just go up in the rapture. But all things being equal, when men gather age and pastors gather age, people that they look up to, uh, they, they go on to heaven. And you just don't have that anymore. It's just not there anymore. But you always have people that you draw off of and submit to. But this is showing us that when it came to even the delicate matters of doctrines in the church, both the apostles and the prophets submitted to the word of the pastor. And the pastor set the precedent for the doctrine that would be preached. And we know what was said uh, in, the, in that meeting. They said, listen, here's what we want them to do. We want them to abstain from you know, things that have been strangled and from blood, not to be involved in fornication. You know, just things that should be common sense that every person should not be involved in, just in everyday life. But they didn't say, oh, what we need to do is go back to the law. No, James set the standard for that and said, this is the way it is. And he was the pastor at the church at Jerusalem. Now, with that in mind, let me read you a couple of scriptures that might help you. Go first of all uh, to 1 Thessalonians. Let's do that one first. 1 Thessalonians. I think I've got it marked here. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now go down to verse 12. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, now notice this phrase, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now notice this. That word right there, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. Now notice that next phrase, and are over you in the Lord. Now that, that becomes an issue. Listen. This is America, we're all free, we all get to vote. We all... Then we come into a church where some guy gets up and says, I'm the pastor and I'm in charge. Come on, let's just be honest. And people kind of go, say what? You're in charge? Who gives you the right to be in charge? What gives you the right to be in charge? Amen? Come on. And you go back to the Word of God to establish that it's God... The Lord Jesus Christ, God through the Lord Jesus Christ, who actually sets in the offices of the five-fold ministry the men and women that walk in those offices. Now, the purpose, and we'll get into this in just a minute. This is kind of help you, help you get into this. There is a purpose for this, and the purpose for this is for your benefit. Now, let me say this. The beginning purpose for this is structure. Everybody say structure. Now, this is an amazing 
fact. If you'll study the Word, you'll see that it's true. God said in the church first, the apostles. Now, there's not going to be any more apostles uh, other than uh, those 12 men, the 11 and the one that was chosen. There'll never, ever, 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 ever be any more apostles like those 12. Those 12 are called the apostles of the Lamb. What makes them the apostles of the Lamb is that every one of them were men that were with Jesus in His ministry. Even the one after Judas had killed himself that they elected in Acts chapter 1, that people say, well, that wasn't right. They had an election right there. No, no, no. That was God through the Holy Ghost giving them the right insight in order to bring that other apostle in so that there would be 12 apostles of the Lamb. Amen? Now, other than those 12 apostles, after that, in the book of Acts, there's over 20 other apostles that are mentioned. They're not apostles of the Lamb. They're apostles of the New Testament. And there will never be any other apostles of the New Testament. You say, what do you mean by that? There will never be any others that are mentioned in Scripture. The apostles of the Lamb are on one level. The apostles of the New Testament are on another level. There will never ever be any other apostles of the Lamb or apostles of the New Testament. They have, they're gone. They have passed away. The structure of what they put into the church remains to this day. Now, the apostles that we have today are what? are men like Brother Paul Chase. Now, he, he comes and stands in this pulpit, and you really don't understand or see the scope of what God has done through his apostolic ministry. I mean, there are churches all over Manila that are New Life churches that he starts. That he was, I was talking to him actually the other day. They just had their minister's conference at the same time we were having our fall harvest conference. Out of their minister's conference are coming new churches in Laos, Laos Cambodia, Vietnam and England were started out of that conference. New Life Churches. So he's got the proof of an apostle. Amen. An apostle many times in this dispensation is what we call missionaries. The word apostle, which comes from the, the, from the Greek word, or the Greek meaning of the word, literally means the sent forth one. So you understand. This is a good Bible school lesson. You understand we have these four levels. Everybody say four levels. Number one, what's the highest level apostle? Anybody know? It's not the apostles of the Lamb, it's Jesus. Jesus is the sent one. He is the apostle, amen, and the high priest of our profession or of our confession. Then we have the apostles of the Lamb, the apostle of the New Testament, and then we have the apostles that we see today, which are mainly these missionaries and people that go forth and actually just start churches. They just have a gift from God to start churches. Now, all of these churches that Pastor Paul starts, I mean, I've been with him. I've seen his structure. I've preached in his minister's conferences. Listen, he raises them up. They raise up churches, and he just lets them go off with their calling, their ministry. Let's them do that. Now, when God wants to begin something, he will send in a pioneering pastor. And if you don't understand the difference between an apostle and a pioneering pastor, it's this, that that pioneering pastor is called by God to just begin to give structure to that local body. The proof that he does walk in that office is people gather unto him. Amen. So you say, how would you classify yourself? Oh, I'm a pioneering pastor. I pioneered. Lee and I have pioneered Island Church. Other churches have started out of this one. We did not start them. I said we did not start them. That doesn't mean we don't bless them. That doesn't mean we hadn't tried to help them. That doesn't mean we don't try to fellowship with them. We just didn't start them. So we claim no apostolic authority over them. 
We came through a, a, a time back in the... Uh, is anybody liking this? Yes, you want to hear this? We came through a time back in the 90s. It, it just kind of came out of a warfare movement in which these guys begin to travel to churches and they begin to say things like this. If you don't have an apostle and prophet over your church, then your church out of, is out of order. That's not true. That's not biblical. Amen? They had, people, they had people coming into churches saying, you know, your church is out of order and you need to let me put it in order. You know what it was? That was all about money. Those guys were just trying to get into the pockets of churches. And a lot of them brought a lot of destruction to churches. No, the church is not called to have an apostle or a prophet over it. The true apostle prophet over the church is Jesus Christ, who is the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd of the New Testament church. But then God will rise up leadership in the church and he begins that leadership raising up process by appointing through the Lord Jesus Christ a pastor to a church. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this. We beseech you, brethren, first of all, know them which labor among you. Lee and I live an open life. Many of you have been in our home. We're not ashamed of anything we do anywhere we go. Listen, we don't live immorally. We live righteously. And we, de we, we desire, and we'll see this in a moment scripturally, we desire our lives to be an example and a template or a pattern for your life. Amen. You say, what do you mean by that? By what we do, by how we pray, by how we approach the Word of God, by how we live, you should be able to fall in behind us in that example and get the same results or greater results. Amen. 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 That's why God gives you pastors. It says, number one, to know them. Now listen, you, you have to know. The problem is, you don't want to know Rusty Martin. See, that's the problem with a lot of... Uh, years ago in teaching on this as a field minister, and I never preached it in... You know, I always preached it in churches that I'd been in a long time, and I always asked permission of the pastor. I said, man, I got some stuff in my spirit. And man, every time, it just blessed the church, caused the church to grow, caused the pastor to be seen in a different light. But you have to understand that... Uh, I lost my train of thought. Hold on. What was I talking about before that? Oh, yeah. You, you, you want to... You, somebody's listening. Amen. People want to know Rusty Martin. Now, listen. If you go down to the finest restaurant on Galveston, I, I don't know what that would be, your favorite restaurant, and you had the greatest meal you ever had in your life to the point that, that you told your waiter, i gotta go meet the, I got to go meet the chef. I need to go meet the chef. I've got to meet who prepared this meal. And then the waiter says, no, you really don't need to. You know, he's actually worked a double shift. He's been here since 12. You know, here it is, 8 o'clock at night. Uh, you, you, you know, uh, no, no, I got to see him. I got... And so you just get up, you go past the waiter, and you go, busting into the, you go busting into the kitchen. And there's this guy. He's wore out. He's been working all day long. He's covered with flour and oil. He's been sweating. He's stained. He's wore out. And you go in and you go, you mean that's the guy that fixed that good meal? You should have never went in the kitchen. I said you should have never went in the kitchen. And when it comes to your pastor, you don't need to go in the kitchen. Because I'm going to tell you something, Rusty Martin can't do anything for you. I said he can't do anything for you. But Pastor Rusty can help you. And Pastor Rusty is what? It's my submission to the office that God has placed me in. And as you begin to know me as a pastor and begin to look to me for the attributes and the giftings of a pastor, then it begins to affect your life. Now without that, listen, without that, I'm just a preacher to you. Amen? But let me tell you something. You're never going to grow up with a preacher in your life. You need a pastor in your life. 
Now notice what else it says. It says, uh, uh, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now listen. And to esteem them very highly in love. Now why, why? For their work's sake. Now let me, let me, let me help you with that. To esteem your pastor highly in love for his work's sake empowers his work to help you more. You got a pastor you don't like? You got a pastor you can't get along with? You got a pastor you don't... It's hard to esteem somebody like that in love. Amen? That you're, you're not going to be able to draw and pull out of them what you need for spiritual growth and development. You're not going to be able, Listen, if you're always in conflict and in confrontation and you always got issues, listen, that, that's not going to help you. And many times the answer to that is let them be a pastor over you. Amen. You say, what do you mean? When it comes to spiritual things, you allow that individual or that couple who you claim as your pastors, you allow them to be the gift that you submit to. Remember we talked about submit yourself therefore to the Lord. Resist the devil and he'll free from you. First of all, you submit to the Word of God. Secondly, you submit to the Spirit of God. And third, you submit to the spiritual authority that God places you under. When you do that, when you appreciate that, when you honor that, you're not honoring me. You're not honoring Leah. You're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ through the office that He has placed in the church. I don't want your honor. I don't want your esteem. What I want is for you to submit to the office of the pastor in love and with honor so that the maximum potential of that office can affect your life. Amen. 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 Now in this day and age, when every position of leadership in our nation is being challenged, I'm telling you from the president down to the dog catcher, I mean, we see it on a national level. I heard the other day, I was listening to a guy the other day, he was talking about how in corporations, how on sports teams, how in all these different uh, entities where there's leadership, how there is such rebellion in them right now. Everyone's rising up against Everyone's rising. You say, why? That's a spirit. That's a spirit. Listen, I'm telling you, when I used to work for bosses, I made sure that I did what I needed to do to, uh, to, to incur those bosses' favor. Amen. I learned my job. I worked hours that I didn't need to work. Listen, and back then I wasn't serving God. I cut corners. I cheated. I did all kinds of things. I manipulated. I did everything I could do. At the end of the day, though, my boss was well pleased with me. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm telling you, I knew if I can keep this guy happy, things are going to go good for me. When I first took over the technical department of stored cable communications up on the mainland, their biggest problem was these, these, these service calls. You know, you have, a, you have your, your, tech, your, your installers go out and they install all this cable, and then, you know, I'm not getting the right color, and the sounds ain't right. And they say, so, it, so it creates all these service calls. And, you know, we had four technicians. We'd come in some mornings, we'd have 200, 300 service calls. You know, you can't do all of those in a week, much less a day. And the next day, so I figured out a little system. Because you got to, every service call had a piece of paper. 
Every, every call was, you know, the name, the address of the person, the complaint they made. You know, you had to put on there the time that you went there. And I mean, it was very, you know, everything was very organized and core. But I found out, I figured out that I could sit down and I could go through all those service calls and I could begin to find, you know, that here's five different calls of the same thing in these two blocks. Now, here's, here's 12 calls of the same thing in a three-block area over here in Santa Fe. Now, here's, here's, here's five houses over here in West Texas City. They all have the same thing. So I learned to go and find the bunches, bunches at one time and fix them all at one time. And I'd fix one and call the rest. Now, that's cheating. Because you're supposed to go to every one. So I'd fix one. I'd go back to the office. And I had a secretary that liked me. And, and so uh, uh, she would let me use her desk, and I'd sit down, and I'd call everybody else. Everything fine? You put everything fine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one day, my boss caught me doing that. And he gave me, he's an old Vietnam vet. He gave me one of these. So I'm like, oh, man. Walked in there and sat down. He goes, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. He says, don't tell nobody. <laughs> He said, but figuring out how to do that that way is one of I incurred his favor. Man, I remember I, I moved up to, to, to running uh, the big line, to, to keeping the big line and the amplifier, and a brand new bucket truck came in, and there were three different offices. Uh, there was the office up in League City, and there was an office in Baytown. And man, my boss got me that bucket truck. And I didn't have to climb so many poles anymore because I had that bucket truck. But it was because I got his favor. I esteemed him highly. I esteemed him as my boss. I didn't try to get to know him, you know, where we were big buddies hanging around doing all this kind of stuff. I just made sure that he knew that I was doing everything I could, even in my crooked and perverse way, to make everything run smooth around here. Amen? <laughs> my staff is laughing. I can see the wheels turning. Esteemed him very highly in love. Everybody say in love. So you're going to have to love your pastor. So this is a self-serving message. Okay, it's a self-serving message. I don't care. You have to love him, and the way you love him is you pray for him, you support him, amen? You do those things which are needful for you to be able to draw from them the maximum potential of what their office can produce. Now, let's see. Where were we at? Go over to the book of Hebrews. Oh, my time's getting away from me. Go to Hebrews. Now go to Hebrews 13, and we may close this in, 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 in chapter 12, but I'll, go to Hebrews 13. Look at verse, um, what is that, verse 6, 7, 8. Nope. Verse 7. Verse 7, remember them. Now here's that same terminology. Now this, this is the terminology that kind of grates you, kind of like, that are over you. But now notice, remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or lifestyle, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now that, that scripture is not taken out of context. He is saying Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now think about this. If you were an observer of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, what would you have seen in the lives of the men that followed him? The first thing you would have seen was one of the biggest catches of fish that had ever been talked about in the Sea of Galilee. Come on. 
I mean, it broke the net, sank the ships. They never caught that many. So the first thing that people would have observed was this. Hey, man, you hang around Jesus, you're going to be well off financially. Look at those guys. Look at all those fish. Amen. Then, the next thing you know, they're involved in miracles. At the wedding feast, when the thousand got, when the, when the four thousand got fed, when the five thousand got fed, Peter walking, all of this, people begin to observe, man, these guys are living an exciting life. Amen. Then they observed the whole thing coming crashing down, Jesus dying, but then they observed, hey, these guys, what are they doing with that big 3,000 member crowd over there? What are all those people saying? I don't understand any of those languages. So what did they observe? Resurrection, restoration, and revival. Amen? So why did a lot of people begin to follow or come into the kingdom of God? Let me tell you why all those people got saved that day. That day 3,000 were saved because Peter got up and I guarantee you, Jerusalem back in that day is just like Galveston in this day. Everybody knew about the big fisherman. Everybody knew about the big old gruff guy that blew it, that failed, that denied Jesus. What's he up doing preaching the gospel? Well, this is what he's up doing. He's anointed. He's forgiven. He's blessed of the Lord. He's been placed in an office. And when you see Peter doing it, you know that's not Peter. That's got to be God. So 3,000 people get saved. To the point that Peter becomes so anointed that they were putting people in his shadow and they were getting healed. Now that's pretty cool. I said, that's pretty cool. So, we attempt to live a lifestyle that you can follow, that you can watch, that you can observe, not just in the pulpit, but in our personal lives, so that you can see the way that they're walking, the way that they're going. Listen, you've got to conclude at the end of the day that if somebody's teaching and preaching you something and it's not working for them, then they don't even believe in what they're teaching and preaching. But at the end of the day, if it's working for them, then you've got to figure out, these people might know what they're talking about. They just might have something here. Amen? Now, still, they're, they're in Hebrews. Go, go down to verse. Oh, let's just, for time's sake. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself for they watch for your souls. Now I'm going to tell you, that's powerful right there. You say, what do you mean? Our assignment as pastors, I'm talking about feeding the flock of God, overseeing the... But to watch for your... What are your souls? Your souls are your minds, the way you think, your emotions, the way you feel, and the choices you make. Did you know Leah and I are responsible for the way you think, the way you feel, and the choices you make? You want that job? That means we will stand before God and we will answer for how you think, how you feel, and the choices you make. Amen? That's an awesome responsibility. You have to have a grace to do that. Everybody say a grace. Now notice this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. See, we're responsible. We're going to have to give an account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is, not, for that is unprofitable for you. So this is what it's saying. It's saying, I'm going to put these pastors in your life. I'm going to put them in your church. 
They're called to oversee the church. They're called to feed you the flock of God. Now I'm going to make them responsible for the way you, for the way you think, for the way you feel, and for the choices you make. Amen? Are you with me? Now in doing that, in them doing that, they're going to have two ways of dealing with you. They're going to either do it with joy. One translation says this. They either do it with a great amen, thank God, or they do it with a, oh my God. I mean, let, let, let me read to you the Amplified. See if I can find it here. Amplified says, uh, I'm on the wrong page. 16, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually recognizing their authority over you. For they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare. As men... Whoop, lost my place. As men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning, for that would not be profitable to you either. Now, do you see that? Now, now listen, Lee and I pray constantly over you. Now, 90% of our prayer over you is congregational, unless we know something that's going on in your life. Then we pray, for, we pray specifically. And I really can't, Look around and see a face in here tonight that we haven't prayed specifically for. You were going through something in your life, something we knew about, something you may not even know we knew about. And we were praying. Now your response to our leadership, your response to our feeding you the Word of God, your response to our prayers, your response to our doing our best to affect the way you think, the way you feel, and the choices you make, either produces in us great joy or it produces great heartache and great sorrow. We were, uh, forget which night it was, one of the nights we were just, we were busy and, and I was watching Roland and the staff, all the volunteers, the ushers, everything in here was just moving like a greased oiled clock. And I stood back over here in the corner, I stood there for a minute, and I looked, I looked up in the sound booth, I looked at different people doing things, I was walking down the hall, and I walked past the nurseries, and everybody was busy in the nurseries and everything that was going on. And I went into my office, and the guest men were in the office, and I sat down in my chair, and tears just began to come down my face. And I said to the pastors that were there, I said this, I said, it amazes me the heart that people have toward God. It's an amazing thing to watch submission and servitude, and joy, and, and anticipation, and, and all of the, you know, there was this electricity in the air for the service that was going to happen. It was the night that Brother Eddie preached. There was just this, this electricity was in the air, and this, and you know, everything was hitting on every cylinder, and you know, the, the praise, and the worship, and the, and the ushers, the greeters, the, the sound, everything, everything was just what you want, and it was just amazing. It brought tears to my eyes, and it gave me great joy. And you must understand that as a pastor, given the task we are given, you must understand that the results is not how much money we have in the bank. The results is not how big of a building we build. The results is what you are at the end of the day when you walk out these doors. 
Now, there may be other pastors whose who's, who's, everything's tied into buildings and not, but that's not us. We want you blessed. We want you operating in faith. And we want you to be able to receive the full benefit of sitting under a true pastoral gift. Now, let me close with this. I've got a couple of minutes. I really don't. I'm just saying that. Go back to, to chapter 12. Here's, this is just a point of conflict that, that we have. And this point of conflict, listen, we could take this into a corporate boardroom. We could take this beta. We could really take this into the, into the government. I mean, this, is, this really worked well. Now listen. Uh, what's the best way to do this? Verse 4. You've not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You've never, you're not bleeding because of your resistance. That's what it's saying. Amen. You're not resisting the things of the devil, the world. The, you're not doing it so hard that it's causing you physical pain. No, you're not. It says, And yet, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, My son despiseth not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art chastened of him. Now notice this. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son he receiveth. If you endure the chastening, if you endure the chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom he whom a father chasteneth not? But if you be without chasteneth, chastening, whereof you are partaker, but if you be without chastisement, whereof are all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Everybody say and live. Now, this is the contention of the modern church. You say, what do you mean by that? It is when you are corrected. You say, now what do you mean? Now, here's, how, here's, here, here's how you got, you've got to see this by the word. It's the only way it works. It won't work by anybody's philosophy or idea. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Ever say profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, so that men and women may be perfect and thoroughly furnished. Actually, that word perfect is matured and thoroughly furnished. Now, 99 and 9-10% of all the correction God's going to give you, He's going to do it through the Word, by the Spirit, through spiritual authority. You say, what do you mean by that? 99 and 9-10% of all the correction is going to come while I'm teaching you the Word of God. Now, your response to that is going to determine how you think, how you feel, and the choices you make. Are you with me? Now, if you've been conditioned by CNN, Fox News, this, this commentator, this person, that person, to everything that you hear that comes to you, you resist that, then you're going to come sit in church and you might resist some of the major doctrines that maybe God might be trying to correct your life and protect you and extend your life the years that you should live. Amen? We've, I've always huh, kind of laughed and 
cut up about, you know, the letter I got from someone who to this day I didn't know that said, I'm leaving the church because I'm tired of you telling everybody what I'm doing. Obviously, God was trying to correct that person and they thought I'd hired a private investigator. Amen? Uh, if you only knew me, which you don't need to know me, you would find out that over here in this pastoral office, this is a very sacred thing to me. It is a thing I do my best to try to develop. It is a thing that I keep at a very high level of holiness and right. Then I live my life out over here. And you can ask my wife. I mean, I think more about Labrador retrievers and, and how many decoys I have and why are those sinking and, and why am I not catching flounders under my light. And I mean, my, my life is consumed with just how I live. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Therefore, when I step over here and get into the flow of something that God is saying, many times, all I am, I'm like that microphone. There's a voice that's going through me that at times I hear what comes out of my mouth and I go, my God, why did I say that? <laughs> Amen. And I'm going to tell you why. It is because God is trying to bring some correction to people. Doctrine, reproof, Correction, instruction, and right. It is your heavenly father. How do true parents chastise, chasten their children? In love. They do it in love. Amen. My mama beat me in love. She did. What was she trying to do? She was trying to get the best out of me. Amen? And the Bible tells us very plainly that, listen, if you resist the chastening of the Lord, then you're not a son. And he uses a very negative word, which I usually don't say, but did. I guess i too far ahead of myself. Which basically talks about children without a father. Children without a father. But you're not children without a father. And you've got to maximize the potential of what God places in your life to mature you and to grow you up. And every time you hear something that goes forth that kind of causes you to like, well, I don't know if I like that or not, you ought to consider why you don't like it. You ought to ask yourself this question. Is God trying to correct me in something? Listen, all the major correction I've gotten in my life, and I've gotten 90% of it, 95% of it, I've gotten by sitting in a congregation just like you or listening to teaching and preaching of men and women I trust. But I've had some personal correction. And I've had some I didn't like. And I've had some that I've thought, why are you saying this to me? But I never took the position of being defiant or rebellious against that was said. Literally, I'm going to tell you, the, I'll tell you the truth right now. It's one of my secrets. The people who have corrected me in the most profound ways remain some of my closest friends to this day. You say, why, why does it seem like you and Pastor Mark and Pastor Paul and, and you know, y'all kind of got this click? No, we don't. We have a very healthy respect for the office that all of us stand in. I can say this because, uh, because it was our, it's already been done publicly. Pastor Paul taught this at, 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 at Fire for the Nations. He called me 
situation that was going on at the church and in his ministry. I'm not going to give you all the details of the situation, but it was serious. And he had his idea and he had his way of what he was going to do. And I could tell by the way he was talking that, man, I'm telling you, this is what I'm going to do and I don't care who it upsets and this and that. And after he finished talking, I said, now, Paul, listen to me. I could feel the anointing coming on him. And I began to speak into his life. And he heard what I was saying. It wasn't me saying it to him. It was God correcting him. And he went and he made that adjustment according to... Now here I am, pastor of a church of two or three hundred people. He pastors tens of thousands. Why in the world would he listen to me? Amen? This is why. He trusts me. He trusts me. He sees the result of our ministry. He sees how we bless him. He sees all these different things. He sees... And listen, when he made that adjustment... Listen, here I am speaking into a major apostle in this earth, speaking into his life. He makes that adjustment. It brings great blessing to the church, great blessing to him. He gets up, tells the testimony, and blesses a bunch of people in a conference. Amen? I've had others. I've had Pastor Sam. Pastor Sam has ways with him. You can tell. You, can, you were on staff for how many years? Three years at Word of Life. I'm going to tell you something. Pastor Sam Carr's a strong drink of water <laughs> behind that closed office door. But he's a very tender man. And he very much loves the church. And he very much loves people. And he very much loves pastors. And I've sat in that chair across from his desk with his finger pointed like this. And I know what it's like to sit there with your heart beating out of your chest and to walk out of there thinking, well, who's he think he is talking to me like that? And to get four or five steps down the, down the hall and the Holy Ghost say, you better listen to what he's saying. Amen? That's why we're still alive. You say, what do you mean? Did you know the average age of a pastor and his wife is 58? Most pastors are dead by the time they're 58. You say, why? Because they don't follow biblical principles. And it costs them years of their life. But we live by with long life. He satisfies us and shows us his salvation. Your submission to God, to his word, to his spirit, and to spiritual authority is a key to longevity of life. And when you realize that, you realize God's not trying to hold you back. He's not trying to control you. He's trying to bless you. And many times all it takes is an attitude adjustment, and you can make an attitude adjustment just like that. You can just begin to think, you know, I'm going to love my pastor. I'm going to thank God for the pastor I got. He may not be pastoring 30,000 people in Houston. He may not be pastoring 10,000 people in Baytown. He might be, not be, but he's my pastor. He's the one I got. He's speaking into my life. I'm seeing some results. I'm seeing some results in his life, and I'm going to go ahead and do what the Word of God says. If you'll do that, then that pastoral office that I walk in will be a blessing to you, and you will receive greatly from that which God speaks through this ministry. Guard yourself from the spirit of this day and this hour. That resists. Man, if you go do a study in the old covenant of how Israel rejected the leaders God sent. They rejected Moses. They rejected Joshua. They rejected Samuel. They rejected David. And so, I mean, everybody God brought. They said, we don't want them. We don't want them. We don't want them. I mean, I mean they, 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 Moses goes up on the mountain receiving the law and they say, they, they end up with a golden calf. When you begin to realize when God puts God's choice in your life for spiritual oversight, there is an adversary that's going to do what he can do to try to put a wedge between you 
and that spiritual authority. And the answer seems to be, for many people in the body of Christ, is I'll just go to another church, but I won't be near as involved in that church as I was in that church. And then when they get mad at that church, they go to another church. And they say, well, we're going to be a little less involved in this church. And then next thing you know, they've gone through about five churches and they're going to church once a month or they're just going to church on Easter and Christmas. And if you've got children and grandchildren, if you've got people in your family that don't know Jesus, if you've got loved ones that need to be saved and delivered, you're, going to have, you're just going to have to make the adjustments. And you're going to have to make a decision. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it according to the Word of God. We're not trying to control you. The Bible says, Apostle Paul wrote this, I love it. He says, we're not trying to come and usurp your faith. We're trying to be helpers of your joy. And that's what we're trying to do as pastors, is to be helpers of your joy. So that you will not go by the wayside. You will not fall. You will not fail. You will be blessed. Amen? Did you get something out of that? Did that help you? You're not mad at me? Was it self-serving? Yes, it was. We're going to cast out lying devils, amen? I'm trying to help you help me pastor you. Is that all right? I'm trying to help you help me pastor you, which is good. Lift your hands. Father, go ahead and stand on your feet. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that the Word of God will not return void, but it will accomplish that whereto it is sent and prosper in that which it was sent to. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving Lee and I, Island Church, and all these beautiful, wonderful people. Thank you, Father, that your blessing, your increase, your atmosphere, your word, and your spirit are the preeminent forces here at Island Church. Thank you as we leave tonight. We claim our protection, our safety. Lord, as we travel, highways, airways, railways, seaways, any other way of travel or transportation, whether it be for business or pleasure. Thank you, Father. We are protected of Almighty God. The righteous labor of our hands as we go out into all the different crafts, professions, businesses, that which you've placed within our hands. Thank you that all we put our hand to prospers. Thank you, Lord God, that we're not subject to accidents, trauma, terror, evil plans of wicked men or Satan himself. Thank you that we abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you, Heavenly Father. As we leave tonight, we recognize and realize outside the four walls of this church, this area is teeming with the hurting, the distressed, the distraught for those that truly need to know a God that loves them and a God that cares. Let us be the ones who expose the true and living God to those that are looking and searching for an answer. Tomorrow, into the weekend, all the rest of this month and through the end of this year. Let a mighty open door come to Island Church in Jesus' name. We live tonight, leave tonight walking in faith and love towards you. We leave tonight walking in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave tonight as the ambassadors of Christ you called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.